the uh, Pacific Islands Forum is underway in the Cook Islands and uh, we've been talking about the Pacific Islands a lot this week, reminding us of our many connections that Australia has with our Pacific neighbours in both war and peace. Now, this year, the 18 member nation and territories have been joined by a huge number of other nations all keen to uh, be able to influence the leaders of the Pacific. And joining us from Rarotonga is Late Night Live regular Tess Newton-Kane. As you know, Tess is the uh, project leader at the Pacific Hub at Griffith University in Queensland and uh, also a freelance journalist. Welcome back, Tess. First of all... Kia ora, Philip. Kia ora. First of all, there are 18 uh, member nations and territories in the, the forum. Are all the Pacific leaders attending? We've not done too badly in terms of turnout, Philip, but there are some noticeable absences. Uh, New Zealand is still, uh, Luxon is still in the process of becoming Prime Minister and forming a government. So they've put together a kind of a caretaker slash incoming double act uh, between the former Deputy Prime Minister and Luxon's foreign policy spokesperson. More, possibly more significant or more concerningly are the absences of uh, the Melanesian leadership. So we don't have Prime Minister Sogavare from Solomon Islands. We don't have Prime Minister Charles Salwai from Vanuatu. And we don't have Prime Minister James Marape from Papua New Guinea. What are the excuses they're proffering? Uh, well, Sogavare is Minister for the Pacific Games, and so he has made the decision that he needs to be in Honiara to oversee the final preparations for the Games. Salwai um, Vanuatu was just hit, as you may know, Philip, by a, a significant cyclone, so he's stayed in Vanuatu to oversee response to that natural disaster. Uh, overnight, we also learned that his government, after that's been in place for what feels like five minutes, is now facing a motion of no confidence. Marape's reasons aren't quite as clear. He has made mention of budget preparations that are keeping him in Port Moresby. He's also been facing a bit of criticism in the press and on social media for the amount of foreign travel he's been doing. So he may feel that he's better off staying home. Now, Tess, with all those uh, absentees, Australia seems to be overcompensating by sending 70 delegates. Yes, it is a large delegation. It's quite common for Australia to have a lot of people on the ground. I don't know that many of them will be front of house, so to speak. They'll be, you know, working in the back areas, helping with speeches and briefing papers. When the leaders go into retreat, it becomes very much a level playing field. So no one's allowed to take any officials with them other than Mark Brown as the host and the Secretary General of the Foreign Secretariat. But the leaders go on their own with no advisers and no officials. Anthony Albanese, Penny Wong. Uh, Albanese arrived today. Um, Pat Conroy was already in country. He was at the official opening last night. I'm not sure whether Senator Wong is joining us. I haven't seen her yet or heard of her arriving. So, yes, to be decided on her schedule, I think. I often joke that uh, Laura Tingle reports on Canberra whilst hiding behind an aspidistra. From your position behind that potted palm, what happens at one of these forums? Look, it's a very busy week. 
with um, a, a bunch of multilateral meetings. We had uh, sub-regional meetings yesterday and also a meeting of the smaller island states. So all of these preempt the, the, big, the big showpiece event, which is the leaders going into retreat. And here in Cook Islands, they are flying to another island in, and they will then be put onto a boat, a, a vaca, which will be motored out into the middle of a lagoon and they will stay there until they have reached their consensus decisions and formulated a communique and then they're allowed to rejoin the world and, and tell us all about it. <laughs> I'm talking to uh, Tess Newton-Kane now. When they meet, there is clearly a desire for the Pacific nations to come to a consensus on most issues, but is that realistic? I think, you know, we've seen over the year, this is the 52nd meeting, and as we know, we've seen over those years uh, times of great consensus, and we've seen even quite recently times of division. I think we're expecting there to be some really robust discussions this week. I understand that the text of the communique is already being subjected to significant negotiations, and I think uh, given where we are in Cook Islands and given the support of this country and this country's Prime Minister for pro progress or to take forward deep sea mining, um, that's going to be a real flashpoint because, as we know, within the group, there are other countries and other leaders who are very cautious about that and, and possibly would argue for a moratorium or, at, very, at the very least, a pause on any movement towards any sort of exploitation. So we're thinking that this could be a significant flashpoint. Tess, any uh, presence by the US and or China? Uh, yes, both of those have delegations here. I'm not sure whether the whole of the US delegation has arrived. It will be led by their UN ambassador. Um, obviously, that's quite a senior position. Last time that Rarotonga hosted this um, event, uh, Philip, we had Hillary Clinton here as Secretary of State, um, which was obviously a bit of a showstopper. That's one of the things that the Prime Minister of Cook Islands and others have already said. They don't want these big powers, these big delegations sucking the oxygen out of the room and out of the conversation. The theme of the conference is very much about Pacific voices and Pacific choices and Pacific priorities. Is there a place there for EU representation? Yes, and they'll be giving a press conference at the end of Friday. So on Friday, we will hear from all of these dialogue partner organisations, whether they are individual countries or the EU, which is a grouping of countries. And they've really been given their marching orders by the Secretariat and by the Forum. And they've said, we want you to come and we want you to demonstrate that you are listening to us that you're taking on board our plan for our region and that you're working with us um, and that you're not trying to use this as a way to uh, sway us to behave in one way or another. Okay, a naive question. What is the interest in becoming a dialogue partner? Is it about trade or garnering support for votes at the UN? I think the latter of those is probably more significant. So, for example, I understand that the Latvian ambassador is here or is going to be here, and he's looking to garner votes from this region to support his country's bid 
for a non-permanent seat on the UN Security Council. And we've seen other countries do that. As you said, I think we have 14 members of the UN within this group. They're all here in this very small, easily accessible place. That's a significant number of votes in the UN or in the World Trade Organization or the International Whaling Commission if you're wanting to drive an agenda item in one of those forums. I'm just running my finger down the the names of the nations, Israel and Ukraine. Yeah, well, as as in attendance, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, and it may well be that the issues relating to what's going on in those countries may come up. Previously, Pacific countries have been a bit cautious to, to comment on the rest of the world, but we are seeing these these kinds of things make their presence felt in the discussions. Now, we spoke earlier this year about Israel's increasing interest in the Pacific. Mm -hmm. Will that also be a point of discussion? It could well be. I mean, I think particularly because since you and I had that conversation, Philip, more recently, we've seen uh, the voting patterns of Pacific countries in the UN in relation to a call for a ceasefire in the war in Gaza. And that's caused quite a bit of discussion, particularly in Fiji, where there was quite a strong pushback and some very strong concerns voiced about Fiji's decision to vote against that proposition. So usually we would expect Pacific Island countries probably to abstain in that sort of situation. But this time we did see a number vote against and we also saw a couple of them vote in favour. Notably, Solomon Islands voted in favour along with New Zealand. Will the big ticket item for the forum be climate change? Uh, Well, yes. I mean, I think, you know, to a large extent, that's kind of a given. It is always the big ticket item and for very good reason. We are in the pre-COP period, so there will be a lot of work done around what are going to be the agreed positions prior to going into COP. And I think from Australia's point of view, uh, we heard from Ralph Raganvanu, who is Vanuatu's climate change minister, that the grace period that this government, the Albanese government, has had is now over and that uh, Raganvanu and other leaders are looking for something new and more ambitious from Australia on that front. Will Elbo be able to convince the Pacific to co-host the, the COP meeting in 2026? I think that's pretty much a done deal. So many of the leaders, including Rambuka, for example, have already said, yes, they'll support it. But I think there will be you know, fairly robust positions on, well, if it is co-hosted, we want to be involved in it from the beginning. We don't just want to turn up and do the the dances and the singing and the pretty stuff, we want to be in at the, the, the hard edge stuff as well. Tess, are the Pacific nations unanimous in their criticism of Australia on the issue? No, we've heard a range of positions. And again, you know, I'd point most recently to Prime Minister Rambuka's state visit to Australia in which he said, you know, the Pacific needs to be realistic about what Australia is dealing with. Now, I don't think he speaks for the whole of the Pacific leadership on that score. And certainly here, when he's sitting alongside the leaders of countries such as Marshall Islands and Tuvalu and Kiribati, I mean, I think that they would have different things to say. Um, Rambuka is is walking a particular path of his own. So again, this is why this retreat 
formula that this, the forum uses is so important because that is really the chance for these free and frank discussions without officials, without the media, and people can really just say what they think and what they feel and then hopefully use that to come to a shared position. Finally, Tess, I spoke earlier in the week to uh, Nick McLennan about the Pacific concerns that they would once again become a nuclear dumping ground. Will nuclear issues be on the agenda? Very much so, and that, that's something that's been made very clear already, particularly by the small island states and, again, the Prime Minister of Cook Island. So we're expecting, I'm expecting the communicator contain a significant couple of paragraphs, maybe even more, about the Treaty of Rarotonga and how this treaty, which was instigated in 1985, needs to be revisited, modernised and updated in order to reflect not just the existing nuclear issues that the region has to deal with, but also new ones, such as, for example, the discharge of water from Fukushima or the implications of AUKUS. Thanks for that, Tess. Tess Newton-Cain, project leader at the Pacific Hub at Griffith University in Queensland and a regular on LNL, currently reporting from the Pacific Islands Forum. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.